And what I heard again and again was what was most important to me is when someone just reached out and I knew that I was seen, I knew someone understood what was going on and they didn't want someone to solve it. And I think sometimes what holds us back is we know people who are going through a rough time. We think it's awkward. We don't know what to say. And we, we might think we don't know them well enough. But what I, what I heard from these people and what I saw myself is if we just reach out, even with a note saying, I was thinking about you, it, it's so meaningful. And sometimes those little acts can have an incredible ripple effect. I'm Krati Mehra, and this is Beyond the Goals podcast. It's my attempt to help you revel in all that life has to offer without pressing pause on your hustle. We learn how to create healthier relationships, healthier lifestyle, a career that brings us true joy, and a life that satisfies us on every level. Forget the conventional ideas of success and happiness, because we're going to live a life of value and create an impact that speaks to our place in the world. So let's get started. Hello, and welcome back to Beyond the Goals. Today's episode has a very special guest, a husband, dad, son, entrepreneur, angel investor, volunteer, and a writer, Brad is a self-made man who became an entrepreneur in high school. And when he was 24, he started his first company, iFrontier, and it went on to become the 33rd largest agency in USA. But despite his entrepreneurial success, Brad identifies himself as a husband, dad, mentor, and then a volunteer. And now, of course, he's this amazing writer who has created this beautiful book, Humankind. And this book, it's like a breath of fresh air. It's a collection of short stories that help us understand how much power each one of us holds in our hand and how we can change the world with simple little acts of kindness, be it a kind word, a generous tip at a restaurant, uh, giving away a meal each day, or just holding someone's hand through a tough period and letting them know that they have someone to lean on. This book makes for such a happy read. And another amazing fact about this book is that it was inspired by the generosity and kindness Brad and his family received while his wife Mia was receiving treatment for leukemia. And it was during that unhappy period that the idea for this very happy, hopeful book took root. Now, Brad donates a lot of his time and resources to helping people build a successful life. He volunteers his time on nonprofit boards and teaches entrepreneurship at HopeWorks, a local nonprofit dedicated to teaching students in recovering communities. Now, in this episode, I talked to Brad about how we can all get involved in volunteer work without internalizing the loss and trauma we see around us how we can help our fellow human beings without letting it negatively impact our own health and well-being. And we also discussed why we need to get involved in volunteer work, how it changes our life, the positive impact each act of kindness has not just on the world, but on our own emotional and mental setup. Doing volunteer work helped me grow. It made me more appreciative of my life and loved ones. It gave me a sense of purpose at a time when I needed it most. And it's also this incredible source of joy and happiness in my life. And I know that we have days when we feel like we're not good enough. We struggle with failures and rejection. On those days, you can find comfort by making a difference to someone else's life. And you can feel like you matter by making someone else feel valued, someone else feel heard and supported. 
So I really hope that you listen to this episode, that you enjoy it and learn from it, and it helps you get past whatever is holding you back from getting involved. Because as you're going to find out with this episode, that even the smallest act of kindness can have a massive ripple effect that may end up affecting thousands and thousands of people. So if you want to get involved, but don't because you suffer from empathy fatigue, or you're afraid of saying or doing the wrong thing, then I think this episode can help you get past that. And Brad also shares wonderful resources for those of us looking to get involved. So let's dive in. Thank you for making time for this interview. My pleasure. And I was just reading your book again. And I remember feeling happy having read that book, feeling hope. But I, I didn't, I forgot how much I cried reading that book because you forget how kind and how decent and how good people can be sometimes. And your book is such a huge reminder of that. And it just came back to me in a rush how much I cried throughout that book, like the good, the cleansing kind of uh, crying. So thank you so much for writing that book. You're welcome. And I love the feedback. Thank you for that feedback. I'm, I'm glad they were cleansing tears as opposed to tears yes. of frustration. <laughs> they were definitely happy cleansing tears. It made me feel excellent. But I have to ask you, because I know that when you wrote this book, you weren't exactly... Uh, your life wasn't exactly going all that well. You were, your wife was sick and you were struggling a lot because I know it was something of a project that you took on during that period. So it's, it's amazing to me that you wrote something so inspiring, something so uh, hopeful and happy during such a difficult time in your life. How did you manage that? Well, I think, well, first off, when my wife was in treatment, it was two and a half years. Right. And a patient advocate told us, you have two and a half years of tre treatment ahead of you. You need to find a distraction. Right. Like you're going to have all these weeks and weeks in the hospital, months in the hospital, right. find something to take your mind off of it. And for me, like reading, learning about these inspiring people and writing down the stories about how a small act of kindness completely transformed their life, like gave me hope and let me see the optimism. And, and then I also wrote about the people who, saved my family's lives because we were going through such a difficult time and it was the little things that people did that helped us and by writing it down it was almost as though i relived them and they once again gave me power and sustenance so there was real it was really helpful to me to write these stories to remind me of everything that's positive during what was an extremely difficult time Yes, I'm sure. And now this book is out there and it's helping other people. A lot of us, we feel very small in the face of the adversities that other people have to contend with. Like we look at people who don't have as much as we do and we keep thinking this is not going to help them if I just give them an, a little extra money. We forget that even a little bit of kindness counts and that becomes a, a major obstacle when we decide to go out there, volunteer, give our time or give our money. Uh, is there something you would like to say to people to get them past that point and get them involved in helping other people? So I think even the smallest things we do can have a huge impact. And what I, what I found, so I interviewed hundreds of people for the book and heard about mm -hmm. people going through really difficult times. And what I heard again and again was what was most important to me is when someone just reached out and I knew that I was seen I knew someone understood what was going on and they didn't want someone to solve it. And I think some, sometimes what holds us back is we know people who are going through a rough time. We think it's awkward. We don't know what to say. And we, we might think we don't know them well enough. 
but what I, what I heard from these people and what I saw myself is if we just reach out, even with a note saying, I was thinking about you, it, it's so meaningful. And sometimes those little acts can have an incredible ripple effect. So there was Rita Scavone, who you probably remember from the book, who saw all this hunger around her. And she said, well, I can't help everyone, but I could make one extra portion of dinner every night. And, and she made an extra portion of dinner every night. And she gave it to someone different. And that was amazing. But then what happened was people saw what she was doing and it turned into this movement that's now a nonprofit that has served over 16 million meals. So like we can make a difference just by sending a note to someone who's suffering. And sometimes that difference of doing a one small action can also have this ripple effect that, that changes thousands or hundreds of thousands of lives. Yes. And I think it also matters because sometimes when somebody is so caught up in difficulties and they're just having such a struggle in every area of their life, I think to have that little bit of kindness in their life reminds them that, you know, life is not as ugly and as awful as you think it is. And maybe it just reminds them that there is still hope and they can perhaps handle the rest of it with a different perspective. I think that's something that's something else that you learn from this book that that little reminder could make a massive difference to somebody and um there's another thing i wanted to ask you there's something i noticed from your book and from the website also there's there's a certain way we introduce ourselves like there's always this first thing that we say about ourselves that that one thing that defines who we are some people like to use their designation the professional designation like they would begin their introduction with i'm a teacher or i'm a surgeon with you i've noticed you always introduce yourself i'm a father and a husband like that is your defining role. That's how you always lead into, at least that's what I noticed from your website and from your book and from some of your interviews as well. And and the thing is that we, obviously the world is very competitive now. Everyone is working all day long and trying to achieve all of these goals. And you, it's not like you are not a part of that hustle culture because I know your entrepreneurship career began very early in your life. So you were very much a part of that world. But despite that, I think you still choose to define yourself with your personal relationships. I think that is a very huge, huge thing about you. And how do you manage that? How do you keep that front and center, even as you do all these amazing things in your career? So it's it's interesting because I didn't think about it until you just brought it up. <laughs> uh, but, but when I'm at events, the mm -hmm. first thing that people always ask is, what do you do? Yeah. And it just seems so strange. Like, what do I do? You want to know my job? What about me? Uh, what about what I'm interested in? And when I think about what's most important to me personally, I want to be a good person and I want to be a great husband and a great dad. So that's what I think about first. And I want to remind myself because it is right now, especially where mm -hmm. everyone's working from home all the time, work and home blends together and it's easy to work all the time. And I find myself mm -hmm. having to like lock my computer in my extra office room so I don't use it. Right. And, and it's just a reminder, like my priority is my family. Mm -hmm. And and that's, that's who I, that's what I want to be a great dad, a, a, a great husband. And I also want to be great at my job, but it's not right. first and foremost. I think it's important for us. And I also, I see it with people I know when they retire, they, they're, they say, well, my work has been such a, my identity, I, I feel lost, mm -hmm. but it doesn't have to be that way. And it's important if, if you, I, I once did this exercise where someone said, kind of 
pretend you're at your own funeral. And this sounds gruesome, but it's not as bad as it sounds. Like pretend you're at your own funeral right. and write down what you'd want the speaker to say about you. Mm-hmm. And when I did this exercise, no one wrote down they were a great worker and they did great at work. Everyone right. wrote down like, I'm a great parent. I'm a great family member. I helped mm-hmm. the world. And it just brought into focus the fact that if that's what's important, start now. Like you don't have to wait till you hit some milestone because it's you're always going to be busy. That's brilliant. I know. I mean, you're a great entrepreneur. There's so much to learn from your story, but I think in this one regard, you are an excellent role model, especially anyone who has read this book will be able to see that because you are balancing all of these very many roles and you're helping people build a successful life. So I'm sure you come into very intimate contact with a lot of um adversities, a lot of poverty even. So how do you keep that from affecting you? And how do you keep going without letting, you know, getting exhausted by looking at all of all the things that are not right with the world? How do you manage that? It's really hard. So when you're doing a little bit of volunteering, you're getting that euphoria of helping someone and having a purpose. And when you get deep and you're spending a lot of time in it, the trauma of the people you're working with, you start to take that on. And and uh, I'm deeply involved with a program called HopeWorks. And it's about, it's working with young people who have been through a lot of trauma. And we've looked at a lot of research and realized that all of our volunteers and staff who work with our young people, they are internalizing that trauma. And it's it's hard not to. So it's important what we have everyone do that has worked for me and maybe would work for other people as well is kind of come up with what your self-care plan is. So first day you're with us, like, what do you do when you get stressed? For some people, it's listen to music. Other people, it's breathing exercises. It might be taking a walk or exercise, but write those down. And this is your safety plan. And when you feel that stress, it's time to go enact your safety plan. And that gives you a break. And you have to realize when you need to take a break. And you could look at it two ways. You can look at it as, oh my goodness, life is so unfair and I'm furious and angry and upset. Or you can say, life is so unfair, but man, I have a chance to do something about it. And I'm going to do this, this, and this. And so many nonprofits are driven by volunteers who have that feeling and CEOs who have that feeling. In the book, there were so many men and women Mm -hmm. who they saw this unfairness and what they, instead of letting it drive them to a negative place, it drove them to do amazing things to make the world better. Right, that's amazing. I volunteer a lot and I like to get involved, but it is always a difficult thing for me because I, you know, I brought up empathy fatigue with you in during our meals. And that's something that's very much a problem with me I see all of these amazing people who have been through the ugliest things in life and they they keep coming back. Like I see a lot of rape victims who are now involved in rehabilitating other rape victims. And I find it so amazing, so mind blowing that these people who've been through so much pain would choose to come back to that pain in a different capacity and help all these other people. But when I'm volunteering at rape centers, I find it so difficult and I, I often break down and then I'm thinking that I'm supposed to help these people. Now I'm crying. How is this helping anyone? So this is actually a great, great idea to have a plan, have a self-care plan, keep checking in with yourself and just maybe step away 
for a for a while if it gets a little too much i will definitely try that what you're saying makes you human right how could you not if you're volunteering with rape victims how could you not feel devastated yeah. how could you not cry at least once a day like that's natural and the fact that you could empathize makes you i believe way better as someone who's there to support people as opposed to someone who who couldn't do that but you're right. So you, you have to know when to step away because if you don't step away, right. you can't actually be there for them. It's too too painful. Yes. And I think another thing that gets in the way is we feel so small when we hear their stories because it is some you you like to say things like I understand, but you couldn't possibly because that's something so devastating. How can anyone understand someone who has not actually lived through those circumstances? So I think that's another thing that often gets in our way because we keep thinking that I, I couldn't possibly understand. Then how can I, would I come across as condescending? Would I come across as patronizing when I say things like, oh, I understand? Or why don't you do this or that? This might help you. And I think that holds a lot of people back from getting involved in situations because as you said, we're so afraid of saying the wrong thing and we're so afraid of coming across in a way like we don't get how huge your trauma is. I think that's another uh, problem that people have. Is there any advice you would offer to people who struggle with that? So, I mean, you're bringing up awesome points. Like these are <laughs> all major struggles that people have when they're engaged in helping. And I think we could help when we don't understand. Right. So I work with young people who are homeless. I don't understand what it's like to be homeless when you're a kid. I did not experience that, right. but I could see that you're really hurting and I'm here for you. So you're hurting. I'm here for you. I can listen. I can say, I've seen a lot of other young people who've been homeless and here's what has been helpful for them. If you want to try it. And I can kind of be in their corner. And I, I, and I think when you work with a volunteer organization, they'll tell you, here's kind of what you can do. And some important things I'd say to remember are, it's okay for us. We don't have to say we understand because we don't. We don't. And also, we don't have to say it's going to be all right because it might not be all right. And it's natural for us to want to like look for the optimist. Like, don't worry, it's going to be okay. You're going to get through this. We don't know that they are. And they know that they might not. But we can say, we're going to help you in any way we can. Like, I feel for you. I'm here to support you. Mm -hmm. uh, it's also something I'd recommend is not trying to identify too much. When you talk about understanding, I noticed when my wife was sick with cancer, mm -hmm. people would come up to me with the best of intentions to be like, Oh my goodness, you know, my aunt had cancer. Uh, so I understand. And she died. Oh, You'd be like, what? Like, like, that's not what I want to hear. And when I talk, I talk to lots of cancer patients. This is so common. It's not because people are mean. It's because they feel this need to show that they're with you and they understand. You don't have to. Just by being present, just by listening, you understand. And you don't have to say everything's going to be okay. You don't have to find the silver lining right. because that shows that you understand. You, you don't have to say, I understand. You just have to be there. And it's hard in concept because we don't like silence and we feel like we need to say something. Mm -hmm. But just being there and listening makes all the difference right. okay but again it's just such a huge thing that you wrote this book 
at a, such a difficult period of your life and you were like I, I understand that you were surrounded by a lot of people who were very happy to help you and you must have been overwhelmed you know looking at their generosity and their compassion for your situation but still to be able to maintain that mental space and to be able to listen to all of these other stories where you are sure you are finding out about generosity and hope and faith but you're also learning about all this other pain that exists in the world like with that autistic kid all of those things that you're learning about all of that trauma and all of that pain in the world how did you maintain that positive because you come across a very optimistic person but it must be it must take some work to maintain that optimistic mental space so i am unusually optimistic as my family loves to point out uh they they joke that like the worst thing could happen and i'd be like oh you know that was a good learning experience <laughs> so i i realized that i'm more optimistic than most people i i think in the case of those stories for me it helped me realize that my situation wasn't that bad and if these other people could get through those very difficult situations, I could have the strength to get through my situation. So in part, mm -hmm. it gave me perspective that I, when you're all, when you're focused hundred percent on yourself. So when we first were going through this, the questions that we asked that I assume is natural were why us, right? So me as diagnosed, the first thing we're told is, wow, like, this doesn't usually happen to people who are in your health condition and who are your age. You're like, okay, well, that doesn't make me feel great that this is, that we're a fluke. And then you're asking, well, why did it happen to us? How come we're young and we're facing this really difficult situation? Right. And you're focused on yourself. And when you start focusing on other people and hearing their stories, you realize like things happen and you, you see the strength that other people use to get through it. And that can empower you. And also it gives you perspective on your problem. And it reminds me of one of my mentees uh, went to college in Washington, D.C. in the United States, and there's a lot of museums there. And I asked her, I was like, so what are your favorite, what's your favorite museum? And she said, the Holocaust Museum. And I thought, what? Like, that seems so strange. That would seem really sad. And, and I said, why the Holocaust Museum? Right. And she said, I saw what those people went through and realized that if they could go through that, I can get through my issues. And this was a young person who had been through a lot of trauma, had a lot of challenges in her mm -hmm. life. So to what you're saying for her as well, seeing these other situations gave her power to, to feed off the strength of others and realize that looking at how, what other people overcome could inspire her to overcome what she needs to overcome. Right. I think, okay, now I have two questions. So what often happens is when we, you know, when people are reminded of what ev everything else that other people are going through and you tell yourself, okay, clearly my situation isn't as bad as, you know, what somebody else, what X, Y person may be going through. I think a lot of the time we forget that it's okay to, okay, maybe you shouldn't lose perspective and you shouldn't drown yourself in your sorrow, but I think it's important to feel what you're feeling. It's okay to give yourself permission to break down, to maybe take a day off or take a week off if that is what you need. Just because somebody else is in, a, in bigger pain than you are, it doesn't mean that your pain is invalid. So do you ever come across situations like that where you have to consciously remind people of that? Yeah, I mean, I have to, I, I myself sometimes will be so stressed and feeling such intense anxiety and I could look and say rationally I shouldn't I see all these people who have 
more difficult situations. But guess what? It's how I feel. I can't change it. It's, it's there. And right. you're, you're bringing up a really insightful point. You, ha- you should recognize it and then do what you need to do to address it because they're your feelings. So they're real and they're there and they need to be dealt with. Right. And your optimism is that, do you, I, you know, count that as something innate or do you, did you cultivate it consciously over the years? So I, I think it's, I've always been a very positive and optimistic person, but I've okay. seen a lot of research about how that can be cultivated. Mm-hmm. You can't change completely and suddenly be super happy and optimistic. Uh, and they're also not necessarily the same things, but you can't, you're not going to be super optimistic but you can train yourself uh, to be more optimistic. So there's been a lot of research where if you write a gratitude journal, if every day you write down three Mm -hmm. things you're grateful for, you become more optimistic. And if every day you do one kind deed, which could be texting your friend and say, Hey, just thinking about you. Thanks for being a great friend. So if every day you do one kind deed, if every day uh, you write in a gratitude journal, if every day you find something you could compliment someone about, At first, it might be difficult, but then your brain is getting in the habit of looking for the positive. And as you're looking for it more and more, you actually become more positive, according to the research that's out there. So you can train yourself to become more positive. Now, if you're starting super low, you might not wind up being positive, but you'll be better according to the research. And I'm sure it doesn't hold true for everyone. Most people will be in a better place and it takes work. Uh, so I, I'd still do, like, I'm really positive. I have a gratitude journal. Uh, I shouldn't say it's a journal because I don't write it down, but every morning I think about what happened the day before that I'm really grateful about. And and that's for me a good way to start the day. Okay. And I do, do these things help you when you are volunteering, when you are working with people who are in pain? Does that help you turn things around? Does that come to your rescue when you are, you know, feeling like you're surrounded with everyone else's pain? So I think the breathe, so I also, I meditate, uh, I say I meditate, I meditate for 10 minutes. That's, that's my length. So some people might call it not meditating, but I find that if I spend 10 minutes every day in the morning, just, so I do my gratitude thoughts, then I do some deep breathing and then I meditate for 10 minutes on my breath. It helps me deal Mm -hmm. with that. It just gets me to a calmer place. And if there's something that bothers you, here's a trick I use that maybe would work for others. Right before I start my 10-minute meditation, I think about how sometimes little things bother me. And I say, they shouldn't bother me. And I'm just reminding myself right now that I'm not going to let it bother me today. I'm going to be aware of it. And I started doing that. And a few weeks after I started doing that every day, I would realize right when something was bothering me that shouldn't like, oh my goodness, this shouldn't bother me. And I think just repeating it every morning and takes one, like the first minute of my meditation got me to a point where I could kind of self-correct, which I really wanted to do and had trouble doing. Uh, so, so I find all of that is helpful. And then knowing what you, as I said before, know your safety plan. So a really good long walk is great for me. Going camping right. in the woods Okay. Uh, you know, my son loves camping. I love camping. Uh, unfortunately, it's not like Mia doesn't love it, but she enjoys her time at home by herself. So everyone's happy. We go out in the woods and if things are stressful, that's relaxing for me. So knowing kind of what you need to do, because 
there's activities that that give all of us strength and we have to focus on those when it gets tough right that's incredibly helpful and and you also said that you choose to look at things as a learning experience like the most awful things can happen and you just look at them and you remind yourself that okay so i just learned something from this so is that how you choose to turn all negative situations into something positive i mean not all negative situations turn into something positive but I, but but they're you know the ones so and i look at the some people say cancer is a gift I would argue that that is completely not how I look at it. Like that's the worst gift ever. Right. Uh, And I wish that we, if I could go back in time and change things so we didn't have to go through that, I would do it. There was no value in that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I could see the positive, like some positives that we came out. I learned how to be a much better kinder friend to people because I saw what people did for us and I could copy those things and I could empathize better with other people and I felt also just so grateful afterwards for what I had so you can find the positives in it but you could still wish that things didn't happen right uh that that's I think natural yes Absolutely. And do you ever, like when we approach all of these issues, you know, when we volunteer and when we are helping other people, I think we approach those situations with a lot of humility because we're already aware that we don't quite understand what this person is going through, but we have to find a place where we can connect and help. But do you ever feel like all of these things that you do to maintain perspective and to maintain patience that ever spills over into your personal life? Like when somebody like your wife or your kid or your friend ever confronts you in an aggressive way or comes at you or you feel betrayed or let down, do you ever feel like all of these other elements that that come forth when you're dealing with people who are not personally related to you, does that ever spill into your personal life? Are you ever able to better handle personal uh, conflicts better because of that? I think so. So when I work with the young people, they're so inspiring and impressive. Mm -hmm. And I learned so much just by listening to them and seeing how they approach it. So I support them. Yes. Mm -hmm. Am I changing their lives and saving them? No, I'm just a a cheerleader who's cheering them on and helping give them some direction in places. Uh, And I think when you have those challenges at home, you know, first having perspective, like how big of a deal is it really that someone doesn't wipe their feet before they come in, right? You could put it in better perspective right. if you've got these outside things you're with. Yes. And then second, being able to really listen. If you volunteer, mm-hmm. you have to be, you're a better volunteer if you're a great listener. Absolutely. And if there's tension, just being able to say, okay, just talk to me. And not having to talk yourself, but just listening and trying to understand before you make any assumptions or jump to conclusions. So you could think, oh, like there's this stuff going on, but none of us are mind readers. So let's not make an assumption. Let's right, ask, right. let's listen. And then after that, if what we have to say is still relevant, we could have that conversation. So, so what I think I've seen through you know, volunteering is listening is key. Not making assumptions is key, kind of what you were saying. I don't understand the situation, so I need to ask questions and, and, and understand it uh, right. as best I can and trying to keep an open mind. And intent, remembering intentions is critically important. So 
there might be something that someone meant well and they did something incredibly aggravating, but you know they meant well. So it's important to put intentions uh, into into perspective. Focus on the intention, maybe not the action. Most yes, the intention is most important. Right, right. <laughs> Your way of handling things is very evolved. I think it's it's gonna take a lot of people a little bit of time to get to that place. Like I feel like I I still have to put in some amount of work before I can get to where you are at so far as volunteering is concerned like i always get so overwhelmed and then suddenly i'm I'm dealing with this other person's grief trying to help them and i have to hold myself back it just but definitely it's yours is something to live up to i think the way you handle things well so you know thank you it's still really <laughs> stressful i'm still working on it myself i don't, I don't think sure. that i yes, have, yes. i don't have it yet but i know where i want to go and i'm trying really hard Yes, I know that you have done a lot. And I know that the, the proceeds from the book as well, they, they go towards Big Brother, Big Sister Charity, right? Yes. And uh, that's an, a wonderful way to keep like this, this passive income. And you've directed all of it towards a charity. And that I think is amazing what you achieved with this book. It's so, I mean, it now it feels effortless, but I'm, <laughs> I know that a lot has gone into that. But you found this amazing way to do this, this, this seamlessly of you've done this amazingly kind thing for people. Did finishing that book, reaching that last page and having it done and sending it to the publishers, did that did that change you, the, the whole process of putting together that book? So I wish it had been that easy. So I finished the book, sent it out and got feedback that the way you did it is all wrong. It has to be redone. Usually people come to us before they write the whole book to get some advice. And they were right. They had a much better way of doing it. So I rewrote the whole thing. Then mm -hmm. I met with an agent who mm -hmm. said, uh, rightfully so, she said, you just aren't, you don't have a big enough following that I could represent you because big publishers want people with giant social media platforms. They want people with a lot of reach, but here's something you can do that would make your book a lot better. And she, it was such a great idea. I remember going home and telling my wife, I said, Mia, I don't want to rewrite it again, but man, I just got the best advice ever. And I want this book to be the best it could be. So I rewrote it again. And then finally it got to the publisher and it was worked into what it is today. And once it was done, it was a huge relief because you're just going back and forth and you read it so many times, you can't really tell if it's good or not. So the week before right. I turned it in, I was debating in my head, should I just incinerate the entire thing? And I, I remember I reached out to five friends. I said, tell me the truth. Is this thing good or does it completely suck? Because I can't tell anymore. And then you hold your breath because it comes out and you're thinking, oh my goodness, are people going to hate it? And I'm like, you get all these one-star reviews. So it's this constant process of you're holding your breath and waiting and then seeing how it goes. And and now it's it's trying to get the word out mode. So I had heard this, but didn't realize it was true until afterwards. There's probably more work after you write the book right. in just trying to get the word out about the book. Uh, but but it's it feels good and I'm loving it. So, so along the way, there's been some reliefs, but no big like, ah, it's off my chest and done. Just in case there's any doubt left, your book is amazing. Thank it is you. an incredible read. And uh, I don't know why it is so, but a lot of the people that are there's an appeal for the morbid. I don't know why there that, that's so, but people are attracted towards morbid content. 
I've, I've noticed that the vampires and then the dragons and the dungeons and, and the, there is some sort of attraction towards it. So we need more consciously, overtly positive stuff without being in your face, you know, like not pink, fluffy, feel good nonsense. <laughs> I don't think that would appeal to people our age, but I, your book has managed to, to remind us of just how much goodness and how much hope there really is left in the world despite because we see so much violence especially people who watch news every day i mean their mind must be all chaos thank you i i appreciate that and and you're bringing up something that i feel really strongly about like what we take into our bodies has such an impact on our life and if we're watching the yes. news all the time our stress levels are like way up here right you're just mm -hmm. so stressed if you're watching the news and Absolutely. if you're reading about things and you're around people who are negative, it brings you down and it's important to have balance and to be around people who lift you right. up and to read blog posts or you know articles or books that lift you up. And social media isn't going to do that. Studies show right. that social media brings most people down, but finding those mm -hmm. ways to be around the people and the media that will bring you up is critically important to your own well-being. You could do all the meditating you want. If you watch the news all day, you're probably gonna right. be in a really bad spot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's such an overload of just the most awful content because the news people, they fixate on the drama and the tragedies. They never fixate as much on the good stuff that's going on. So I think that's something that we need to consciously protect us from. And that's something that we can do with these books also. Like I, my Instagram account is very, very positive and I, I try to create helpful content but I'm never able to recommend my Instagram content because I'm like I don't want to push this person onto social media I don't want to recommend more social media to them that's crazy but you know I never thought that writing the book in itself was easy I can imagine how much struggle would have gone through that especially considering you know the period of your life when you started creating that book but do you feel like putting together all of those stories compiling them and with the intent of helping people through the money that you get out of the book and helping the world through the content you were putting out there, did that process change you somewhere inside? I feel like there's not a lot, enough mm -hmm. good news out there. There's so much positivity that happens. It's not out there. Agreed. So I wanted to get that out there. I also feel like people have this feeling that they can't make a difference. And I wanted to show just how much of a difference the smallest act could make and, and the waves it can cause of goodness and, and the amount of lives it can touch with the goal that people would then go out and be empowered and do things. And I get tons of emails from people saying, I read your book and now I'm starting this project to change the world here. Or I read your book and now I've started doing this one little thing for my grandma. And that's made me feel so good like that was my mission. Seeing that happen feels great. And I hope that like I could just spread the word further and further because if I could interest people in trying some of these things and seeing the power they have, it could it could have an impact. Right. And that that's the goal. Right. I know that you are involved in a lot of uh, volunteer projects, but did this book, having achieved the success that you have with it, did it make you want to do something bigger and, you know, make you realize, despite the place you were coming from, did it make you realize how much power we all have? Did it make you want to do something bigger? Absolutely. So all these people's stories are so incredible. I, I think for most people, it would make them want to do more. Just It made me want to do more. And it made me want to 
figure out ways that I could even meeting these different nonprofits, connecting them together so they can have a bigger impact mm -hmm. and thinking about how I could have a bigger impact on the world. Absolutely. That desire came, came out of, came out of this for me. Right. Amazing. Um, I, don't, I, I wish, uh, you know, more people would do what you're doing and I wish more people would read this book so that they get inspired, especially people like activists and all of these people who, who go on these marches and on these protests. And because I feel like when you go on a march or when you go to a debate where there's a lot of yelling, where there's a lot of arguments and you are fighting for basic human rights that you shouldn't have to fight for, I think that fills you with a lot of hate and a lot of negativity. Because especially like what just happened in America, everything that was going on there with the, the Black Lives Matter because that's something we shouldn't have to fight for. That's something that should be obvious to each and every human being. I feel like it's it's harder for those people because they have to take on this aggressive persona to go out there and establish what needs to be said, what needs to be understood by everyone. Uh, do you have any ideas that could help these people because to, to come out of that charged place in their head and maybe step towards a more optimistic place? Because when you witness on a daily basis so much violence, especially... Uh, with everything that was going on at that time, uh, how does anybody even turn that off? How do you even go from that sort of extreme negativity, extreme anger to a place of calm? I, I fail to uh, like I fail to come up with anything that I could say to these people. You might not be able to, right? So a lot of what's going on mm -hmm. is so distressing that any normal person would be thinking about it most of the time. And if, and there's different ways to, to drive change. Some of us, it's saying things are, so for mm -hmm. me, I see the inequality. So I'm going into neighborhoods and, and trying to help create more opportunity for the people there. Other people are leading protests because they're looking for systemic change and they want to, you know, drive it that way. And there's been big success in protests driving change. Right. But if you're there and there's all this friction. I don't, I don't know how you calm yourself down afterwards. You, you might need a vacation. You might need to have some other hobby if it's hiking or, or playing Frisbee or working out, whatever it is, that when you're not right. in the midst of it, you're putting a ton of time towards there so that you're taking mm -hmm. a breath. Uh, and certainly staying off social media because I, I think it might be difficult. To, it might be difficult to live it all the time. But on the other hand, it's such an urgent need. And if that's your path to making change, it might be difficult not right. to live it all the time. How could you not be there, not be participating if that's your way to make change? We, we each have different strengths and areas where we're going to focus. So I, I don't I don't have an answer to that. I think it's it's a really <laughs> difficult thing. Yeah, I, I sat down this one day to write an article because I think every single person with even an iota of compassion wanted to get involved in some capacity. And I thought maybe I'll write an article for people who protest and people who get involved in such a personal way for them, you know, some kind of self-care for them. And I honestly couldn't come up with anything because their anger is so justified and it's not just something that pissed them off. It's something so fundamental. And when someone is denying you that your rights based on your color, that's how do you even begin to tell people to calm down when they're, when they're fighting for something so valid and something so necessary? 
So I understand what you're saying. <laughs> Going back to um, humankind, I, I wanted to ask you, if there are any other resources that you would recommend to people? And I'd say try to find positive news sources. So uh, the Random Acts of Kindness Foundation, they're always putting out good news. If you look at their Facebook page, you're not going to see the negativity. Uh, you, you can you can look at uh, the Good News Network, which is another website that's full of good news. But find positive news sources. I, I personally enjoyed the book Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. It was a book that just it's a good refresh and reminder of stuff that you shouldn't worry yourself about because we get. I find myself I could, I could get worked up about stuff, and and that that was. I haven't read it in a long time, but I remember that feeling really helpful to me. Okay. Uh, so I, so those are just some suggestions, kind of looking around there. I have, uh, the, the back of my book has the resource section of all the ways that we can get involved. Nice. And I put it online. So if you go to uh, bradaronson.com slash volunteer hyphen opportunities, you know, there's a list of ways and places you can go to get involved as simple as writing letters to kids who are in the hospital or lonely seniors to, to more meaningful mentor, more, not more meaningful, but more time intensive mentoring type commitments. So there's lots of opportunities there as well. Um, now, apart from everything else, is there any like one tip that you would give to people who are you know living a very busy lifestyle and uh, don't really know how to take breaks? Would you recommend anything to them that could improve their life? So something that has been incredibly helpful for me and, and might be worth trying for other people is mm -hmm. when I'm having a conversation, I try to wait three to five seconds before I say anything because I find otherwise I might interrupt someone when they're trying to think of what to say next. And we're in a society where there's, we're bombarded with so much that people don't get to be heard. And if we can kind of just take that pause before we say anything in a conversation, we're going to understand people so much better. Our relationships will be so much stronger. They'll enjoy being with us more. They'll be heard. Right. So I, I, I would I would try that. Uh, I, I found it really helpful for me. So that was Brad Aronson. Now, if you want to explore the resources that have been mentioned during the episode, just go to my website, redefinenarrative.com. Search for the podcast episode and there should be a list of resources and links for you to explore. Now, if you found today's episode useful, I'll appreciate it if you'll please rate and review the show on iTunes or share it on Instagram. It will help others find the information should they need it. Remember to tag me at mehra underscore prati so that I can thank you for your time. And if there is any particular concern or issue you would like for me to cover on the show, reach out to me on Insta or use the contact page on my blog. That's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back next week. Till then, please do take care of yourself.